Good morning, church. It's great to be with you again. It's good to be back with you after missing you last week. I apologize, but I have to just give massive thanks. So many people texted and emailed and wrote and prayed for me uh, a week ago. So thank you so much. If you don't know, I spent a couple days in the hospital. It wasn't fun. It was a gallbladder thing. I know a lot of people are familiar with that because when I say that, everybody comes up and tells me about it. So, um, you know, it was a gallbladder thing. I dodged surgery, so I'm thankful. But, but let, me, let me share a testimony with you. And it's not what you think, okay? So, so I'm in the hospital, and if you ever had this gallbladder thing, it's no fun. You're cramping, you're throwing up for hours. It's just really kind of miserable. And um, I'm feeling kind of sorry for myself. You know, I don't want to be in the hospital. And, and there I am going through all this. And, and, and in the middle of that, while all that was happening, I get a text from a woman in our church. And she says, she doesn't know where I am. She doesn't know what's going on. She says, Pastor Greg... I need you to please pray for me. She said, I just came from the doctor's office and they told me that I have pancreatic cancer. I have to go back in a couple of weeks, a uh, week and a half, I have to go back and find out what the treatment plan, would you please pray for me? And all of a sudden I'm like, my problems are pretty small. You know, my problems are pretty mellow. So we're, we're praying right there in the hospital. I'm praying with her over the phone. She's praying with me, and we coveted it to, to pray for healing going forward. And I remember when we were done together, I went back to praying for me again, you know, <laughs> make this stop. And, and, and my cramps didn't stop. Now, I've, praise God, I dodged surgery, and I'm all good and all that kind of stuff. But here's the testimony. So for the next week, me and my sister prayed, and lots of other people prayed as well. On Friday, just two days ago, she went back to the doctor to have the treatment plan put together. They said, your cancer's completely gone. We don't understand. What happened? Your cancer's completely gone. Wow. You know, church, now, hey, we're grown-ups. We know that God doesn't always do what we want when we want it. But he also says, if, if you don't ask, you miss out. He says, I'm a living God. I'm still a healer now. I'm still a savior now. And so I just offer that. She offers that as an encouragement. Would you just lift up those things that are needs in your life? Don't be afraid to come forward to pray and worship, to be prayed for. He is a living God, amen. The stuff still happens. She was laughing. She says, the doctor all running around. How can this be? How can this happen? This can't happen. Well, yeah, this can happen, and, and God's good. So I just want to share that testimony with you this morning. It's a pretty neat, pretty neat story. Um, I also want to ask you if you would pray with me in just a moment. Uh, this weekend, uh, our teenagers, about 52 of them, are gone over to Eastern Washington outside of Ellensburg to their winter camp, their winter retreat camp. That's where Pastor Tyler is, Pastor Weston is, and a bunch of us are uh, volunteers. So this is, if, if you know anything about camp, God does mighty things at camp. Um, you get the kids away from the routine, you get them up in the mountains and, and in those small groups in cabins, in those worship services at the retreat center. I mean, God does mighty things. And, and you know, once we've grown out of those years, we're here to help them through them. We're here to bless them. And so I want to ask you, would you pray with me right now for our kids' teenage winter camp uh, this week? Would you bow your heads? God, we come to you thanking you for healings that we hear about all the time, Lord, for, for this particular healing for jo Jody to have washed away pancreatic cancer. Hallelujah, God. 
We rejoice. It's not the first time you've done that kind of thing, but we just celebrate it again. We rejoice in you. And God, pray for so many who are wrestling with colds and flus and here and there with COVIDs and stuff like that. Lord, we ask for healing. We ask that you pour your spirit out and touch the sick and lift them up right where they are right now. And then, God, we come to you for our teenagers at winter camp this weekend, and we pray, Lord, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit in a mighty way on the kids, in worship, in teaching, in their fellowship, and their small groups. Lord, all weekend, we ask you to work mightily in their lives, God. Sometimes we forget how hard it was to get through those teenage years, Lord, and and you love them so much. We pray your blessing over that camp, your anointing over the speakers and, and the worship services and everything that happens. We just lift our kids up to you. And God, help us to always be mindful that as we grow older, we're here to serve the younger, Lord. We're here to bless and help. And we ask your blessing on, on camp this morning. We also ask, as we open your word together this morning, as we begin this road trip with you, Jesus, throughout this year, all the way through Luke's gospel, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear you, to learn, to grow. We ask your blessing on this journey we begin today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, um, a few things uh, to call your attention to. Uh, one is that coming up in just a couple of weeks on a, a Friday and a Saturday night will be our spring session of Financial Peace University. You say, what's that? Well, if you're ready to kind of get into the nuts and bolts and the practical side of getting your household finances in order, that's what Financial Peace University is about. It's all about tools and, and no practical things that you can do to, to organize your financial life. And, um, you know, typically we do that over a series. It's a six-week long, and there's a dinner every Sunday night and then a session. This year or this spring, we're trying something a little different. It's going to happen on a Friday night and a Saturday morning, kind of compressed all at once. Financial Peace University is tried and true stuff. It's been around for decades good solid stuff so no cost or anything like that if you want to be a part of it uh, you can stop by the guest center give the church office a call go to the website uh, and get yourself signed up for that everybody's invited it's free again financial peace university coming up in a couple weeks then next uh, Sunday morning after third service will be a, a young marrieds get-together luncheon, just kind of a hospitality get-together, connect with each other. You know, we're all spread out over three services. Sometimes it's hard to get to know other folks in our stage of life. So next Sunday after third service at 1230 will be a, a young marrieds get-together. Kids are welcome. It's going to be a good time. So that's coming up. Again, no cost. Everybody's invited. Next Sunday, also in first and second services, we will be celebrating water baptism. We have another six people who are ready to make that public confession of their faith, and so that'll be happening next week. If you have received Jesus as your Savior, but you've never publicly confessed that, that's what water baptism is, and the Lord calls us to do that. He invites us to do that, and so we'd be thrilled to include you. If you'd like to be baptized next Sunday, you haven't been before, you can uh, stop by the guest center, give the office a call, uh, email us, get signed up for that. Um, that's going to be happening in first and second services next week. And then the last thing, uh, the last thing is, I know everybody's anxious to get this children's building started, and so are we. Uh, the contractor is chomping at the bit. They're ready to go. Matter of fact, if you walk around the campus, you'll see some spray-painted lines on the ground and everything. They're ready to go. We're just jumping through a few last hoops with the city, <laughs> a few last 
T's, they weren't crossed, and I's dotted kind of came up at the end. So as soon as we get those solved, you, you may come back next Sunday, and the construction will already begin. So uh, we're right there. Um, if, uh, if I can ask us, I know you, and so I know I don't even need to ask, but, um, you know, once that construction starts, there's going to be some dislocation, fences, piles of building materials. We're going to have to park in different places and move around a little bit. But it'll be so worth it because after that kids wing is built, we're going to have so much more space. And then we're going to have two entrances to the campus. You'll be able to come in one, go out the other. A bunch more paved parking. It'll be a good thing. And we are hugely thankful that, hey, church, we're doing this completely debt-free because God blesses us. So it's, it's pretty cool stuff, you know. So hallelujah. Uh, thank you for being patient as that whole thing gets going. Grab your Bible this morning, friends, if you would, and open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And You'll remember that a couple of weeks ago, we said, hey, in 2023, we're going to take a road trip with Jesus. We're going to go all the way through Luke's gospel. We talked about the fact that there are a lot of fake Jesuses in the world, a lot of them. The Bible explicitly warns us about that. Jesus explicitly warned us about that. And so he said, hey, I want you to learn the sound of my voice. We talked about this two weeks ago. Learn to know me as I am. And we said, with that goal in mind, we're going to take this whole year and walk all the way through Luke's gospel. Not in a hurry, but with the goal of really getting to know this man, Jesus, maybe like never before in our lives. And we're going to jump around to the other gospels a little bit, but Luke is chronological, so we're using that as our framework. And we're going to start this morning right after Christmas. So Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 41 this morning. And as you turn in there, let me ask you this. Do you remember the time in your life when you actually desperately wanted to get older? Do you remember that? There was a time in your life that was what you wanted, man. You were like, I don't want to be a kid. I don't want to be a teenager. I want to get there. I want to grow up. There was a time in your life when that was your passion, man. You wanted to get through school. You wanted to get out there. You wanted to grow up. It drove you. It began when you were really young, you know, this desire to grow, this passion. You, you woke up one day and you said, I want to walk. And then you were relentless. You wouldn't stop until you learned to walk. And somewhere in that journey, you decided that you wanted to talk. Everybody around you was talking. You wanted to be part of that conversation, even though you only half understood what was happening. And so you set out to learn, and you were driven to do that. And nothing could discourage you. And that passion filled up your life. I always laugh in our family because uh, Isaiah was a little slow to start talking. And so at about a year and a half or so, uh, I remember Rhonda came to me one Saturday. She says, honey, I'm a little bit concerned. He, he's not talking yet. And I said, oh, are you going to regret saying that? <laughs> and boy, once he started, he just never stops. He, he is a talker, if you know our son, Isaiah. It was really funny when he was about seven years old. Uh, we took him to see his grandparents for a week. And then down in Eugene, and his grandparents were going to bring him back. And they were going to meet us uh, halfway, kind of outside of Hood River. And then we were going to take him back to Idaho where we lived. And after four and a half hours in the car, <laughs> uh, Rhonda's parents with him, they pulled up and her dad got out of the truck and he had this look on his face. <laughs> does he ever shut up? I said, no, no, he pretty much doesn't. But you, you and me were all like that. We had that drive. We had that desire. As we get older, sometimes... Our expectations of the way growing should happen start to get in our way. And we can lose 
that drive to grow, to learn. Sometimes, when the building's not falling down, it can also, those are just chairs, guys are taking care of it, but sometimes, as we get older, that can even happen in our spiritual life. We build up a bunch of expectations, and then those expectations get in the way. You know, when you wanted to walk, you didn't think there would be a lot of falling. <laughs> Yet there was, and it didn't discourage you because you saw that as just the way you learned to walk. God wants to talk to us about something like that because our lives, friends, are meant to be lived as a quest, as a mission, as a goal. And, and that goal is to know the one who made us, is to know our creator personally, to experience him. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, one of the great statements of the Christian faith says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We are meant to know him. And as Jesus began to grow up, that was the first bloom in his life, was the desire to know God. We're going to see that in the passage in front of us this morning. You know, when, when Rhonda and I got married 38 years ago, we sort of vaguely understood this. And so we had printed on our, the napkins at our wedding reception a little saying, and it was this, life is just a candle and a dream must give it flame. Yeah. Jesus knew that, and as he grew up, he began to walk in that reality, and, and, and that's what's going on here in Luke chapter 2, where we begin. There is nothing more significant than to live life to know God, and when we discover that, we discover life in all its fullness and abundance. Let's listen to what happened here. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 41. The Christmas story is behind us. Now, for the first time, we're going to begin to experience Jesus, his personality, his heart, his mind, his temperament. Before that, he was a baby and a child, and, and sure, there was a lot of revelation in that, but now he's going to grow up into an adult, into a teenager and an adult. And we pick that story up when he's, when he's 12 years old. The Bible says this. Every year, his, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. They had a habit of regularly participating in the worship of God. They knew that was central to life. And when God chose a family in which to place his son to grow up in a human sense, he picked a family that was devout in that way. And so it was the custom of his family to go to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, when Jesus was 12, now that's a significant date. Let me just throw an aside in here. Even to this day, Jewish people practice what's called a bar mitzvah at 12 years old. A young man, a young lady, is, there's a ceremony they go through in which they become accountable for their own relationship with God. At that point, they go through a ceremony, what's called bar mitzvah, and they are now accountable to God's word for themselves, to learn it for themselves, to know it for themselves. This is that season of life for Jesus. He was about 12 years old, and they went up to the feast according to their custom. And after the feast was over, it went on for several days, after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. You know, teenagers are like that, aren't they? We're supposed to be going one way and they're going another. Jesus 
stepped out of that history of being only a son of his earthly parents, and he stepped out in a new direction. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, and they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now, we hear that and we think, oh my goodness, how could you be so negligent that it takes you a day to figure out your son's not there? But the reality is, church, that's just our culture. In that culture, this kind of communal travel, this kind of extended family experience was very common. They'd go up to Jerusalem, be all the cousins, the aunts, and the uncles, favorite neighbors, and the kids would just be mobbed into the midst, and everybody was looking out for them. It was just a cultural value. And so it wasn't, it wasn't an uncommon thing. Everybody went, oh, he's with the cousins, or, you know, he's with grandma and grandpa, or, you know, he's somewhere in this group. And there was just this this trust. We don't think that's possible because we live in such a messed up time in the world, but even in my lifetime, I've seen it several times. When I lived in Iceland, there's a custom there, at least there was back in the 80s, where you'd go to a supermarket and uh, moms would roll up a baby buggy with their baby in it, and there was a little covered awning outside the supermarket. They'd park their babies in the awning and go inside and go shopping. First time I saw it, I'm like, what? But uh, no, everybody does it because they're all looking out for each other. It's a value in that way. At that time, there hadn't been a, a homicide in Iceland since 1942. So, you know, they were doing something right in that regard. I also remember when we were on the mission field in Peru and our translator, our Peruvian translator one day, he had his daughter, he picked her up right after school and there was a change in our plans. And, and so we had to go to a different place and he had to go with us, but he had his daughter and, and his house was a half hour away across town. You know what he did? I'll never forget it. He flagged down a taxi cab. These are the cabs there, a little motorcycle with a plastic thing on the back. He just flagged down a cab, put his five-year-old daughter in the back, gave the driver his address and said, hey, take her home. Ah! You know, what, are you insane? But in that, what happened? What do we got here? Excuse me. Oh, okay. Is, do we have a doctor, a nurse? Are they handling it? Okay. Are, okay. Yeah. So Taylor, do we know Taylor? Okay. Church, oh, someone is having a medical emergency down the hall. Sounds like it might be stroke related. Can we just stop and pray? Our God's a healer. Our God's a healer. Let's pray right now. Father, we come to you this morning and we pray for Taylor down the hall, Lord. And, and we don't know all the details, Lord Jesus, but we know you're a living God. We know you're a healing God. We pray that you would calm the body, calm the mind, the spirit, that you would bring renewal, restoration. We pray for healing. God, we pray that you give wisdom and grace to those that are helping. But Lord, we ask for a supernatural intervention, Jesus. We just ask you, you promised us you're here. Walk down the hall, lay your spiritual hand on Taylor and bring healing, we pray. Lord, we, we saw you do it with cancer. We pray that you do it with whatever this is. Lord, we pray for healing. We lift this up to you and we do this together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, keep us posted, Brent. Yeah, please. Thank you. Um, so, so there's kind of this tradition, and it's not really that uncommon for Jesus to have stayed behind. But there's some great significance, and the reason God's Word tells us this story is because of the reason Jesus stayed behind. The Bible says they went back to Jerusalem to look for him, and then verse 46, after three days, imagine three long days of searching, 
Imagine what would be going through your head and heart as a parent. After three days, they found him. Where? In the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. They found him in church. They found him in what he would call his father's house. And what was he doing there? He was seeking to know God the Father. Now, it's important to grasp. We tend to think, well, you know, Jesus was God, become a man, so he always knew everything all the time. Wrong. The Bible says, Philippians chapter 2, that when he became human, he set aside his glory. In fact, the scripture says he made himself nothing and was made in human likeness. He set aside his prerogatives. Later in this very passage we're in right now, Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the scripture is going to say Jesus grew in wisdom, in knowledge, in stature, and in favor with God and men. In other words, he grew up. He learned. He was human just like you and I are. That's incredibly significant. We tend to say what Jesus does is different because after all, he's God. But what we forget is that central to our Christian faith is that he was fully man, fully human, and that he set aside all those prerogatives to be just like us. And the beautiful thing about that is that in Jesus, not only is God revealed to us, but it's also revealed to us what we can be as human beings. When we choose to follow him by faith, we can live the same kind of life that he did. That's what's happening here in this moment. Jesus settles himself in church among the teachers of the law, and he starts listening and asking questions. And not just for a moment, not just on a whim, not just because of a mood. He's been there for three days doing this. Now, what's also significant in this moment uh, that I, God wants us to see is that Jesus is doing this despite the expectations of his family. You know, he, he didn't seek their permission. He just, now he's 12, now he's of that age, and he began to own his own relationship with God. So much so that his desire to know God even preceded the expectations of his family. Here's why that's important. If you choose the same goal, you're going to have to set aside some of the expectations of the people around you. They're not always going to understand. Jesus' family didn't. In fact, the scripture tells us, verse 47, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. You know what she's feeling in this moment. If you're a parent, you grasp this. She's like, how could you go against our wishes? How could you contravene our expectations in such a dramatic way? And Jesus' response is incredibly significant, friends. He says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? The scripture says they didn't understand what he was saying to them. He was surprised that they were surprised. He said, of course I would be here. I belong first and foremost to my Father in heaven. And before anything and everything else is my desire to know him and to seek him. Now, please understand, Jesus isn't rejecting his family. The Bible goes on to say that after this incident, verses 51 and 52, he, he went down to Nazareth with them. He was obedient to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. And so Jesus doesn't say, family out the window. But he does say, and this is what's really important, he does say, my quest, my search to know God, my desire to know the Father trumps even my family. 
precedes even the expectations of those on earth who love me most. Here's why I bring that to our attention. Jesus invites us to choose the same goal in our life, to seek to know God first and foremost above everything else. I, I don't know if you've made that choice yet, but if you hadn't, haven't as your fellow human being, can I just say, what are you waiting for? Don't you know that we're all going out of this life, that we're only here temporarily, that at best this whole existence that preoccupies every minute of your mind is really just a temporary condition? We're headed out of here into eternity. We're going to meet God. And the desire to know him, given that reality, is the most natural, normal, and healthy thing in the world. Which is why Jesus, at the age of 12, says, oh, I got to face this way. I got to seek this direction. Doesn't mean that it doesn't love my family, but even when my family doesn't understand, I need this. One of the best things that we can do for our kids is to give them the same permission. And the best thing we can do to be good parents is to set that goal in our own lives. The first step to being a great parent is to be parented by God the Father. There's nothing better we can give to them. I remember when we pastored in Lacey, I was a young, brand new pastor, and I was only a few months in the pulpit, and after service one morning, a woman came forward, she said, Pastor Greg, can I talk to you? Absolutely, let's talk. She was from a family. I had had her kids in youth group. I knew the family well. They were what we would call kind of in our little subculture, they were pillars of the church. They were always faithful, always serving, always involved, wonderful people. And she came forward, and given that background, what she said completely caught me by surprise. She said, Pastor Greg, and she looked around, nobody else was hearing. She said, I'm not sure if I believe this anymore. I said, oh, Oh my goodness, sis, okay. You know, why? She said, well, I got, I got a bunch of questions. And I said, well, that, that's how you get to faith. Why is that a problem? She said, well, my parents told me that you never question anything about God. I said, oh, my sister, no, that's completely wrong. You're supposed to question everything. That's how we grow. That's how we learn is we ask questions and we listen and we seek answers. Jesus made a profound promise in Matthew 7, 7. He said, everyone who seeks finds. And I said to her, oh, sis, you, she says, but, but I'm not supposed to ask those questions. I said, no, you're supposed to ask those questions. That's what causes you to grow. And I said, sister, can I just please give you permission to ask all those questions and to take as long as, I'm here for you. I can maybe help answer some of them, but you're going to maybe need to find answers in other places. But there's nothing more important in your life right now than to ask those questions and to seek. She went away, and for the next couple of months, she wasn't really a pillar of the church. I missed her sometimes on Sunday mornings. And sometimes when she was there, she was very held back and her face was downcast and she was obviously wrestling and struggling with things. And I knew what was happening, but I also knew that her choice to seek was the most important choice she'd ever make. After a couple of months went by, I never forget, she came up to me again after a Sunday morning service. Gigantic smile on her face. Pastor Greg, it's awesome. I asked my questions. There's answers to questions. I said, I know. We had a little happy time up front. We prayed together. She said, oh, this is great. Thank you so much for encouraging me to ask questions. Yes, God wants you to. It is your seeking that leads to your finding. And to set aside the expectations that mitigate against that drive in your life, that's how we grow. 
That's how we're meant to grow. What is Jesus doing? He's listening and asking questions. He's seeking God. In a moment, as we get ready to close, we're going to talk about this three specifics for how you do that. But for now, just grasp what's happening here. The Lord is setting his heart to seek. Now, I remember uh, uh, some of you know there's a young lady uh, from MRCC. She grew up here, went to children's church here, youth group here. And while she was in youth group, God called her to be a missionary. Her name's Heather Haney. Now she serves in Niger as a missionary nurse just right on the frontier and, uh, you know, very under-resourced, as we say, part of the world and dedicated her whole life to this. But I'll never forget when she was at youth camp and she first heard that call of God to go to the third world and serve as a missionary nurse and her dad found out about it, and he came to me, and he said, you got to tell her not to do this. It's not safe. She can't do this. I don't want my daughter going into harm's way. I don't want her being in an unsafe place. Help me tell her not to do this. I said, my brother, I can't do that. She doesn't belong to you. She doesn't belong to me. She belongs to God. And I told her dad, I said, the best thing you can do is affirm this. She's seeking God with her whole heart. You need to rejoice in this. And friends, we need to not only set aside maybe the expectations of our families, but we need to pull some of our expectations off our kids and let them seek. We need to set them free so that they can seek God. Maybe in a different way, not a different faith, but a different way than you or I have done. That's what Jesus was doing in this place. And as a consequence, he grew in wisdom and in favor with God and men. This is important stuff. After three days, the Bible says, they found him sitting there listening and asking questions. Three days means he, he, he had grown an attention span. This mattered so much. He was willing to take the time to learn. He was listening to what was being taught. He was asking questions about what was being taught. These are rare things in our modern world. Few people practice them, but everyone is capable of them. Anyone can listen if they choose to. Anyone can ask questions if we stop worrying about revealing we don't know something. And anyone can choose how we spend our time. But most of us just won't ever make the choice because we live inside of a cocoon of expectations and we think life is just meeting them. Jesus knew better. He said, life is seeking to know God. Through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord put it this way. He put it beautifully. He said, Greg, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And he says the same to you and me here today. Can I just ask you, have you made it your goal, the number one goal of your life, to know your maker, to know the creator, to know the God who is there? Jesus did, and as a consequence, he grew up. As a consequence, he matured. As a consequence, his life became a life that changed the world. And we are invited to the same experience. On another occasion, Jesus put it this way. Catch this. He said this. I love this. He said, the kingdom of heaven, that phrase means the experience of God's leadership in your life. The kingdom of heaven, when he's your king. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he went and hid it again. 
And then in his joy, catch that, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. In other words, he conceived a desire because of what he knew was there, and then he was willing to pay whatever it cost to pursue that desire. That's what Jesus did. At 12, he said, you know what? Even though my family expects one thing, God comes first. So I'm going to seek God. I'm going to honor my family, but I'm going to put at the top of my agenda to seek God. As a consequence, he grew up. We're invited to do the same thing. Again, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Same theme. When he found one of great value, catch this because this is the point, he went away and sold everything he had and bought that pearl. That's how you and I are invited to live. That's what Jesus offers us. A life of trading whatever it takes in order to know God, in order to know our maker. Sometimes we need to to set aside success in one thing to find it in something else. Sometimes we need to set aside expectations that people have for us or that we have for ourselves in order to say, God, you come first. I want to know you. That's what this is all about. I want to know you. Jesus did. John Ortberg writes about the modern pursuit of balance where life is divided into equal portions of physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual activity. The problem is that this just compartmentalizes life and turns it into treasury. Jesus doesn't preach balance. He preaches priorities. He says, put the main thing first. The other things will fall in line. He says, put your desire to know God first. Can I just ask you as we get ready, kind of turn the corner and close this morning. Have you made that choice for yourself? I mean, come on, you guys. We're going out of here. <laughs> Whatever happens down here, it's just going to be a memory pretty soon. How much do you remember from first grade anyway? <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's about to be way behind us. We have to set aside this. Yeah. Wendy Smith is a first grade teacher in Dallas, Texas. She writes a funny story. She says, a young man named Alex came to first grade for the first time. It was his first day in school. And after being there in the morning, you know, it got to be lunchtime. They broke for lunch. And after lunch, she saw Alex was over pulling on his boots and putting on his coat. <laughs> he was ready to go home because that's what she did in kindergarten halfway through the day was he went home. So she went over and said, oh, honey, no, you're, you're a first grader now. You know, you, we stay all afternoon. You won't go home until 2.30 this afternoon. He looked up at her with a distraught look in his face. He says, oh my goodness, who signed me up for this? You know. <laughs> see, see, our expectations can get in the way, right? Now, here's, here's the reality. You think Alex wants to go back to kindergarten? No way. He wants to grow up. In the same way, God says, let yourself be captured by this dream of growing up. And then... Put aside the expectations. Growing up is going to mean you're going to be in school longer. Growing up is going to mean doing things you didn't do in kindergarten. But you're going to be the one who's glad for it. That's why Jesus said he went in his joy and sold all he had and bought that field. Okay, so, so, so how does that happen? How do we do that? Well, one, one, one more quick note before we finish this morning. Um, when you do this, you know, in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought it. Why? Because what was in that field was so valuable. See, here's the thing. The more you discover about God, the more thrilled you're going to be. Let's say that again. The more you discover about him, the more thrilled 
you're going to be. You're going to discover, for example, that his mercies are new every morning. You're going to discover that your failures are meant to be put behind you as you strain forward. What is Philippians chapter 2 says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I, I, I strain towards the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Uh, uh, his, you know, I'm meant to move on. I'm not meant to drive by looking in the rearview mirror. I'm meant to leave my failures behind me, put them behind me, and grow on from them. We learn that God isn't a neurotic authoritarian. He's a father, and he wants to parent us. And he knows what it takes. And he knows we'll fail, but he also knows that the goal is always there. Holiness, righteousness, the freedom of discipline and faith and hope and joy and all those things. The more we discover that, you know, yesterday, probably like me, some of you watched some NFL playoffs yesterday. We had some folks over and watched the game. And you know, uh, the quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, first game in the playoffs the guy goes out there and in the first quarter he throws three straight interceptions right just one right after another adds another one in the second quarter can you imagine how he felt his team's down 27 to nothing in front of their home fans because he can't throw the ball to the guys in the right shirt you know i was thinking as they went into halftime wow how do you pull yourself together after that well he did and he came back in the second half. It would have been so easy to say, you know what, I have, I have messed this up so bad. There's no way. It would have been easy to be focused on everything that had gone wrong. But instead, he decided, you know what, there's another half. Let's go play it. And Jacksonville came back, one of the greatest playoffs and uh, comebacks in playoff history. And they won 31 to 30 on the last play of the game. And he led them back. Some of us have got four interceptions in our past. And we're thinking, my game's over. But when you get to know God, you find out that isn't the case. You find out that he's ready to start all over with you again. All you need to do. But you don't know that until you get to know him. That's what Jesus began to learn as a 12-year-old. Now, how do you do that? Three things, we're almost done. First of all, Jesus, catch this, real simple, friends. Jesus treated the scriptures as the living word of God. This Bible, friends is the word of God. Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, it is living and active. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of my heart. This is a living word. You say, I wish God hadn't written a book. God said, you know what? I know better than you do about how to grow you, and I know that through this means, I can parent you best. It's not the only way he parents, but it is central. Jesus knew that, so he goes to the temple where the scriptures are studied and expounded, and he places himself in the middle of them. Listen, if you want to seek God with all your heart, you're going to need to open your life to his word. Ten minutes a day when you sit down and you read God's word and you allow him to meet you, and he will. Words, verses will leap off the page. Those of us who start this habit never stop it because it's so rich, it's so full. The first habit that goes with setting yourself to seek to know God is to, to listen to his word. Jesus was so serious about this that he put it this way. He said, man does not live by bread alone. You, you can't have a satisfying life just by always having something to eat. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You need that. Jesus knew he needed that. 
So he set himself in God's word. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is he did was he placed himself among the people of God. Notice what he didn't do. He didn't go off by himself with the Bible and just say it's me and Jesus. God says that's not the way forward. He calls us specifically to be involved with other believers because we learn best in that environment. You know, it's popular these days to say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't do church. That's like saying I'm married, but we don't live together. We just call each other regularly. You're missing out on most of it. You may technically be married, but you're not having a thriving marriage. The scripture says that the church is the body of Christ. <laughs> so when you're with the church, you're with Jesus. doesn't mean you're not with him when you're not, but you're missing the point if you focus that direction. Jesus practiced church weekly, even when church was a mess. Matter of fact, it's an amazing thing that Jesus went to the temple regularly where the Pharisees and teachers of the law were on the show. And he told other people, he said, hey, I know these, Matthew 23, I know these guys are knuckleheads, but go there anyway. Why? Because in that environment, you will experience and get to know God in ways that you can't if you don't. So Jesus placed himself among the people of God. And then finally, he asked questions and he listened to long answers. He asked questions and he was willing to listen to long answers. When was the last time you got a 12-year-old to sit still for three days? Jesus chose to. I know 12-year-olds who can. <laughs> Jesus chose to. He said, you know what? I, I realize this can take time. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to learn. I'm going to put myself in this environment of long-term learning, kind of like we're doing as a church in 2023. He says, I'm going to settle down. And you know, I, a few years ago, I, I took piano lessons. I've always kind of had this pipe dream of playing piano like Elton John. You know, I want to do that, right? So I took some piano lessons. And the instructor said the first time, he says, what do you, you want to play? I said, I want to play like Elton John. And so, okay. So we start doing this stuff. After like three lessons... He stopped and he says, man, you're in a hurry. <laughs> I said, yeah, I want to do this. I want to learn how to do this. He goes, you can't. He said, you can't learn piano in a hurry. There's going to be a bunch of practicing, a bunch of scales, a bunch of routines, a bunch of rhythms, a bunch of disciplines, a bunch of over and over. He says, you can play like Elton John, but it's going to take time. And he said, you know what? Let's not waste each other's time. If you're not ready to put in the time, you probably shouldn't be taking piano lessons. You know what I said? I went home that night and I thought, man, I don't have time. So I don't play like Elton John. <laughs> I don't even play like my four-year-old niece, you know? I mean, I got nothing. Jesus says, if you and I will take the time, we'll grow in wisdom and in favor with God. We just gotta make that choice. Let me finish with a story. Actually, let's not finish with a story. I'll make it really quick. A friend of mine was in crisis, went to a Christian counselor. He knew his life was coming apart. Marriage was failing. Ministry was failing. He was desperate, went to a counselor. The counselor said, well, are you willing to pay the price to get whole? Now, that's, that's a good counselor. You already know you got a good one if he or she is asking you that question. My friend said, yeah. So the counselor said, I want you to set aside a weekend in the next couple of weeks. Don't wait. He said, uh, I, I'm going to ask you to drive this motel on the coast. When you get there, you're going to find on the table instructions. I'm not going to tell you anything else. You've got to decide if this matters enough to you to seek it. My friend said he left the appointment. He thought, man, I don't got time for this. But then he said, man, I'm in a desperate place. I need to try something new. 
So he peeled away that weekend and he headed over to the motel. When he got to the motel, he went in and on the table there were instructions, just a short handwritten note and four envelopes. The instructions said, tomorrow morning when you get up, I want you to open this first envelope at 8 o'clock, do what it says. Open the second one at 10, do what it says. Open the third one at 12, do only what it says. And open the last one at 2 and do only what it says. So my friend thought, wow, what is this? Okay, all right. So got up the next morning and he, with all kinds of anticipation, opens the first envelope to find a piece of paper with one word on it. It said, walk. That's all it said. So for the next two hours, he walked all around town, up and down the beach, in the forest, or in the, around the neighborhood, way by the hotel. He just walked for two hours because that's what it said. He got back, okay, he said, all right, they just want to chill me out. Now, you know, the next one's going to say something. He opened the second envelope. You know what it said? Watch. One word. Watch. So for the next two hours, he just looked out the window. Went for other walks, but just watched. The birds, the sky, the ocean, people, kids, dogs, no cats. <laughs> the surf. Just watch. He got back and he opened the third envelope. One word. Pray. And he realized that never in his life had he ever taken prayer so seriously as to spend two hours doing it. I don't know if I can do this, but he started. In those next two hours, he talked about how he wept and he was broken and he confessed and he heard and he changed. And the last envelope, he opened up at two o'clock and said, now eat and rest. So he ate and he rested. He said, it was the greatest revival I've ever experienced. And I went home different. I went home transformed. The Bible offers that to you and I. He says, be still and know that I am God. Everything else will flow out of it. Family, work, all your other issues will flow out of this. Jesus knew it, and so he modeled it. Let me ask you this. What is it that you need to sell in order to seek God? Maybe you need to sell your lust. Go ahead, sell it. It's not worth keeping. Maybe you need to sell your pride or your reputation or your greed or your fear. Maybe you need to trade in your hurt, your desire to get even. Whatever you sell in order to buy this treasure is worth it. Maybe you need to sell your desire to get even, your busyness, your independence. It's worth it, Jesus says. And as soon as he was over,